Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen. You're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Well, I thought a good follow-up to the uh, the previous episode on varus knees would be to talk about valgus knees. And again, this is not a full in-depth discussion of all valgus knees and the things to you know, do and watch out for, but just more of a brief summary of things that I see and I look for and I watch out for. And uh, this is really good because it came up in the operating room just the other day where we had a bad um, valgus knee. So a lot of these topics uh, did come up. So when we're talking about valgus, I mean, you could talk about it in in many different ways. Uh, Krakow described, you know, three types of valgus knees, the the grade one, um, which was a minimal valgus knee, grade two, deformity greater than 10 degrees, where there was very little um, soft tissue stretching, uh, where grade three is the severe valgus deformity, and those medial soft tissue structures are incompetent. Uh, and that's the case where you really need constrained or a hinge available. So when I talk about or teach or look at a valgus knee, now there's a few things that I look for right away. You know, first of all, are they fixed or are they correctable? So right away in my mind, it puts two different perspectives into play because if they are correctable to neutral, that lets me know that just by filling the space with plastic and the implant due to the lost cartilage, that I should have a very stable flexion gap and extension gap. Whereas if they're fixed in valgus and I can't correct them, that lets me know that that lateral side is going to be tight. And then the question is, what type of releases or removal of osteophytes am I going to have to do to to eventually detail or develop this uh, well-balanced knee um, that has neutral alignment and good stability. The next thing, in addition to determining whether or not it's fixed or correctable, is whether or not that medial side is attenuated. So like Krakow describes, you know, there's that opening that you'll see on the medial side on an x-ray on a standing view. And when it looks excessive, you know, you first of all have to go, okay, that side has been attenuated. It's attenuated a little, has an end point. Okay, am I going to have to somehow release the lateral side to bigger than normal, potentially lengthening the patient's leg to balance the medial side? And can I get away with that with a CRPS implant? Or is that medial side attenuated and incompetent? And that's the case where you really need to have some type of stabilized insert available or even if a hinge if it's severely um, attenuated. And that helps with the preoperative planning. You know, the next thing I, I worry about is the bone loss or bone defects or bone anatomy. So do they have a huge defect or groove in the lateral tibial plateau? You know, have they eroded? And you can see this on the AP sometimes and on the lateral, but you see this huge amount of scalloping. And if that's the case, you know, is it small enough where I can just resect to that level, maybe using a bigger poly, but without having to go to an augment? Um, or is that where very excessive, where, you know, cutting it flush at the level of the defect would lead to some abnormalities, and I may actually need to augment that side or use a cone or a sleeve. Um, and also the dysplastic lateral femoral condyle. You know, a lot of these people are in valgus, but they were born anatomically with this dysplastic lateral femoral condyle. And you have to keep that into account, both for your distal femoral resection and your postercondylar resection. Uh, now, if we get in there um, and, and we're taking care of this knee, so again, the first thing and the biggest mistake that I think I see a lot of people potentially make is they will say, okay, I have a little bit of a flexion contracture, I'm in valgus. They make the distal femoral cut and they go, oh, the lateral side is really thin. It's not enough. I have to take two more. 
So they take two more, and in essence, they elevate the joint line, and they make everything looser in extension. So just know that in a dysplastic lateral femoral condyle, that that cut is going to be quite thin. So I'm looking more at, is my medial resection appropriate for the implant that I'm using? Is my cut through the notch isometric with the PCL insertion? You know, that kind of gives me an idea right away that, yeah, I probably have restored the joint line. Your preoperative templating comes into handy as to what was the patient's distal femoral angle. And you also have to decide, and again, this is very complicated, but it comes down to what's the patient's natural anatomy, how much valgus were they were in, you know, what is the um, anatomic alignment of the tibia, and then am I going to cut five degrees of valgus or six degrees of valgus or even seven degrees of valgus in certain cases? So you have to kind of combine all of that information together to help you determine. But it is much easier to go back and cut two more than cutting too much from the get-go and running into issues with laxity and trying to overstuff the, the joint. Because if you do, if you do make that mistake, you've took your cut, it was too thin, you took two more, and then you realize your extension gap is loose, your flexion gap is balanced. Now you potentially have to downsize and anteriorize your femoral component at the end of the case to open up the flexion gap to then balance that bigger extension gap that you've created. So the next thing, um, which is really important, is to, if you cut your distal femur, and for me, again, if you've listened to the previous episodes, my typical you know, scenario is cut the patella, cut the distal femur, size rotation, cut the four-in-one, cut the tibia, balance trial. In a valgus knee, sometimes I will modify that and go back to my gap balancing day. So I will cut the distal femur, and then I will expose and cut the tibia. And then I will get balance my extension gap. And if there are structures that are tight, uh, my preference isn't a potential sequence every single time. It is releasing what is tight and releasing a little if it's a little tight, but being more aggressive if it's very tight. So what I mean by that is, you know, if the IT band's a little tight, I'll take an 18 gauge and I'll pie crust it. You know, if lateral collateral is a little tight, you know, I'll pie crust it. Am I tight in flexion versus extension? What structure is tight? Do I have to release it? Do I have to release the popliteus? And the problem there is the difference is a very, very tight knee. I, I see some people afraid to release the lateral collateral. So what happens is they release the IT band, release the IT band, release the IT band, still tight. Release the popliteus, maybe they've done it in reverse order. Release the popliteus, then the IT band. So you've released those structures. And now you're still tight, and now you have to release the lateral collateral. So if the lateral collateral is the structure that is excessively tight, sometimes it is better in a severe deformity to release the lateral collateral, which then still allows you the IT band or the popliteus or both to have some type of lateral constraint. So you have to take into account what is tight, where it is tight, extension or flexion, how tight is it, what is my deformity, and how far am I going to have to go to release it, because you don't want to be afraid to release a big structure by releasing small structures, and then realize after releasing all of the small structures that the only structure left is the big structure that you now have to release. Now, the other options, too, is it's much easier to see on the medial side, medial osteophytes, you've done a medial sleeve uh, release and a varus knee, and you can take off the medial osteophytes. It's a lot harder to see those lateral osteophytes, especially down at Gertie's on the lateral tibial plateau. So what I typically do is after the tibia and the femur are cut in extension or slight flexion with a bump, you can get a home and over there. And I find if you take the bovie, you can clean off the IT band insertion at just the rim of the lateral portion of the tibial plateau. And you can get a small rongeur in there and take off those osteophytes. But it's a very uh, common uh, 
missed area to look for or to remove osteophytes there. Like every femur, you know, I always teach everybody when you do the femur after the four and one's done, every femur should look the same. If we haven't done our chamfer cuts though, we're still going around with the bovi and resecting the synovium back from where the articular margin is and really identifying and removing all of those osteophytes all the way around the lateral femoral condyle, again, to prevent tenting of those lateral structures, which could make you excessively tight. So you don't want to release tissue before you've already removed all of the osteophytes. So that becomes important. So then the next thing is, which comes into my gap balancing, is the rotation. I think the rotation on a valgus knee is definitely um, more difficult and more important uh, than a varus knee. I find a lot of people make the mistake, and again, you may have heard me talk about this briefly before, but the mistake I see a lot of people make and they're taught is, I'm going to externally rotate it if I'm going off the epicondylar axis or posterior condylar axis. And if I'm going off the posterior condylar axis because there's posterior lateral cartilage where I'm going to overly externally rotate it to make up for that defect. And then notoriously, what happens? You are loose in flexion and you are tight in, ex- or in tight rather in flexion. You're loose medially and you're tight laterally. So think about this. You on purpose created or induced more external rotation into your four in one cutting guide. And then when you balance it, you are looser inflection and you are tighter, um, or you're looser inflection immediately and you're tighter inflection laterally. Why? Again, because they had a dysplastic lateral femoral condyle and the implant doesn't have a dysplastic lateral femoral condyle and they've already stretched their medial structures. So a lot of times what I'm telling people is we're gonna internally rotate the femur and it doesn't mean that we're gonna internally rotate it to the epicondylar axis, but we're gonna relatively internally rotate it to where I think a lot of people try to overly externally rotate it. And if you do gap balancing, you'll see this, where if you eyeball where you think it needs to go, maybe use a shim or use a handle or you do something to overly externally rotate it, and then you put in what I typically use is laminar spreaders or you can use a gap checker of any sort, is I put the laminar spreaders in there on the cut tibia and the posterior aspect of the four and one, and you can gap balance and you can see where it sits to give you a rectangular flexion gap. And if you do this over and over again, you start to see, ah, that's what it's supposed to look like. You know, and again, use other landmarks to teach yourself what does the trochlea look like? You know, where is the rotation in relation to the trochlea? Try not to look at everything else. Where is the rotation in relation to the epicondyles? Where is the rotation in regards to the posterior condyle? What does the cut look like on the medial side? What does the cut look like on the lateral side? Does it look similar to a varus knee or different than a varus knee? And why and how so? And then certain instruments um, allow you to attach a handle to the four-in-one. I like to use that as a drop rod and I can line that up with the dots that I've made on the tibia. So if I lift the leg to open up that flexion gap, it's another reference point for my eye to see that you have created this rectangular flexion gap. So I think those are all really important. And then now you've pinned your block, you do your four and one, and now you check yourself through your range of motion and realize, ah, my extension, I'm stable medial lateral, my flexion, I'm stable medial lateral. So those are really, really important things. And I think going through that sequence or the algorithm, and and again, certain knees you might change based on the deformity or based on your comfort or based on the stability. But for me, a mildly valgus knee, um, straightforward for me in the sense of normal patella, femur, four-in-one, tibia, 
balance. But these bad valgus knees, bad deformities, especially if the medial side's attenuated, I'm doing patella, distal femur, tibia, gap balance. And then I have to decide, can I get away with a CR or dished or PS, but I always have some type of constraint to back up. Where in the severe deformity, you know, the constraint available, you're most likely going to use it because the medial side's attenuated and incompetent, but also having a hinge as a backup because if you get in there and you can't get the stability, you have to have some backup plan. Now, the other things to kind of keep in the back of your mind, so lateral parapatellar approach um, has been discussed and described a lot of times for these bad valgus knees for approach and balancing. I personally haven't used it for bad valgus knees. I still use a median parapatellar um, approach. Other options that people will talk about, especially if the medial side is attenuated, is doing a medial soft tissue advancement. Again, it's discussed. It's out there. It's not something I've done, um, but it is there. And the other thing, which is important, again, when we talk about uh, patient expectations and informed consent. You know, I talk to all patients about all complications, but again, the you know overweight diabetic, we have a longer discussion about what an infection entails um, in more detail than a healthy patient. A valgus knee, I always go into a little bit more detail when we talk about nerve injuries and what would be a nerve injury, a perineal nerve palsy, once I've corrected their leg as far as stretching and things we would look for and weakness and how we would treat it. Luckily, it happens very rarely, uh, but if someone even has a temporary nerve palsy, they're quite scared if they didn't know and understand that it could happen. Whereas if they do wake up and the foot's a little weak and you've explained it to them and we release the dressings, flex their knee up, keep an eye on it, it resolves, it becomes a much easier post-operative course for that patient from an anxiety and a mental standpoint. And for you, because you've explained it ahead of time, you're not trying to backpedal and explain it after and go, oh, well, it's because your knee was, you know, uh, knock-kneed and this commonly happens. It, it always is better to inform those patients preoperatively. Uh, and then the last thing, again, as far as complications is, especially these patients that have an attenuated medial side, uh, I do let them know that there is a possibility that there may be a leg length discrepancy. This is a lot more common with hips, but knees very rarely leg length discrepancy because those ligaments are fairly fixed. But in a valgus knee where they've had an attenuated medial side and you may have to release more on the lateral side and put a thicker poly in to balance those gaps, you have to let these patients know that there may be a sense of a leg length discrepancy for them because you did have to increase them a few millimeters to balance the leg. So just kind of my... Um, thoughts and two cents on valgus knees, things to watch for. But again, going into it, think about, you know, look at your x-rays. Is the deformity fixed or correctable? It gives you an idea of what you might have to do to balance the knee or how hard or easy it may be. And is the medial side attenuated or incompetent? That's really important as far as implant choice and having things available that you might need. And the other important thing is just because the lateral bone cut on the distal femur looks thin, do not automatically knee-jerk, drop the block back to and take two more. Really assess what your x-rays were, your preoperative templating, what the thickness on the medial side of the cut was, how isometric it is to the PCL insertion, and just know that if you're tight in extension, you can always go back and cut two more. If you cut two more and you're loose in extension, you're going to have to figure out how to fix the problem that you created. So thanks again for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to Total Knee Tips and Pearls. We've been talking about valgus knees. Until next time, stay safe.
You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.